He is somebody I consider to be a co-laborer with me um, we, as we try to redeem this city for Jesus. And so he's someone that I've been blessed to know for at least the last six years. And you guys are in for a treat this Sunday morning. I asked Gus a while back how he liked me to introduce him. And um, he said that he's just, I'm a husband. I'm a wife to a, per- I'm a husband to a Persian. Uh, he's married to a Persian. He's got two little Persian kids, a prince and three. The last time we talked, we had two. Spit it out three. Wow. <laughs> and he is a believer in the cross. So would you put your hands together and help me welcome my friend Gustavo Cruz? Well, first off, good morning. I hope you had some good sleep. I had my awesome two hours of sleep as I flew in from North Carolina this morning. Uh, we actually had a food packing event in Raleigh, and we mobilized uh, a church to do 40,000 meals. And that was a blessing. And, and just like Pano said, I'm excited to be partnering with Karen for Miami. Just the story, I don't know about you, but I almost cried listening to his story. You know, but just to see the joy in, in the love in his heart. And I, when I see him, I'm like, man, I want to meet your wife. <laughs> You know, like, I, I really want to meet his family and stuff. Um, so we are really thankful to be able to just be a small bridge um, to, to help the children. Because that's what, that's what it's all about for the name of Christ. Uh, are we getting feedback? Something I'm doing? All right, cool. So it's not my fault. I like that. All right, so today's message is going to come from Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, Jeremiah chapter 29 is probably one of my favorite books and chapters in the Old Testament. And it's one that many of us in this room are very familiar with. We're very familiar with. Because every time we have a cold day welcoming that fierce storm in our life that will make break us down to make us cry, someone in our family, whether your abuela, your mom, your friend, your spouse, will give you a list of Bible verses. And you grab those Bible verses and you start reading them because you know that you'll find joy, hope inside of them. And maybe you already have your own favorite list, your top 10 hope list, you know? And you're like, I got to go back to this list and read them because my day sucks today. I can guarantee you that in the top 10 or top 20 Bible verses, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, is there. Many of you have posted on your Facebook, on your Instagram, you buy a mandel or something that has the, the Bible verse, or it's, on your, it's, it's highlighted on your Bible, or in your Bible app. Why? Because the verse is awesome, right? And this is what the Lord says. This is what Jeremiah says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Every time you read this, it just injects faith into the deep spiritual core of your being. And you start breathing it and you start inhaling. You're like, this is amazing. Why? Well, it's very simple. God has a plan for you and I. And it's not just an ordinary plan. It's a plan that is triggered in purpose to prosper you. 
It is a plan that will not harm you. And it's a plan that will give you hope in the future. You feel great relief. So therefore, you memorize it, you recite it, you share it, and you go through that cycle over and over again. Because it is a powerful verse. I mean, we all want that plan, don't we? But let me pose a few questions for you. What happened to those faithful churchgoers that went inside to worship Jesus in South Carolina only to be killed by white supremacists? What happened to those faithful believers who were diagnosed with cancer only to die six months later? What happens to those that are truly in the word of God Truly in, injected in the community of God to worship him. What happened to Rachel Scott, who was a victim of the first high school massacre? Shot in the head because the gunman knew that she was a believer. What happened to those believers that went to work at, at the Twin Towers on 9-11? Or even the tourists that came to spend a good time with their family? Men, women, and children. These were brothers and sisters in Christ that died. Did God's plan fail to give them prosperity? Did God forget that his purpose was to keep each one of them from any harm? What happened to the promise for a better future. Could it be that God gave them false hope? Now I know maybe you've asked yourself these questions. I know I have. And the one thing that I guarantee you that we all wrestle with is that we think that this, these things could probably will never happen to us. We reject the notion that these Tragic events can really affect us in the same manner that our brothers and sisters were affected by. We're like, no, nah, no, nah, that's just not going to happen to me. What makes you so confident that it cannot happen to you? Because when we say that, it, it kind of sounds, and by the way, I'm putting myself firsthand, it sounds like we're more special than these people, right? And we're not. It's like Pano said, we're broken vessels. Why are we so confident that God will not allow turmoil to come upon our hearts and our minds and our own body and life? Well, you know what? If you truly believe that this will not happen to you, that God will not allow this happen to you because you're a real spiritual Christian, then I suggest you might want to ask Joseph. Remember Joseph in Genesis, right? This is a man that was sold by his own brothers, put into prison for a crime he did not even commit. He was an innocent man that spent years in prison. If you don't want to talk to him, talk to Job. A perfect man, the Bible says. Not that he was without sin. It just means that he truly was a, a mature believer, a real godly man. 
And we all know what happened. We know the story. He loses his wealth. He loses his children. At the end, he was losing his health. How about Stephen, the first martyr in the book of Acts? This is a man who was just giving an amazing history of the Jewish uh, tradition and history and tying Jesus at every point of the way from the prophets and the kings. And the Jews at the time were so angry that he was preaching that Jesus the Messiah, one came and bit him, and they, everyone started grabbing rocks and started stoning him until he died. If you don't want to talk to them, talk to the Apostle Paul, who wrote three-fourths of the New Testament, who actually, in Corinthians, he said he talks to himself as a third person. He saw the highest heaven, uh, in some uh, translations, the third heaven. I mean, for you to see the third heaven, you wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. I guarantee you, you're a real spiritual man. And this is what he tells about his experience as a Christian believer. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 through 28, says this. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. I mean, when you list his sufferings, it does not match to the promises that Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 gives us. So there's something wrong here. You see, the problem is that sometimes we like to take one verse and we take it out of context. I've done that before, and I've been scolded before. And this was one of the verses that I took out of context. We've got to look at the bigger picture. At times, we just got to look at the passage, extended more verses to understand what that one verse means. Sometimes we've got to look at the whole book. At times, we've got to look at all 66 books to understand that one particular verse. Uh, l- let me explain it as, as, as best as possible. Imagine that I, we, we have a movie night here. Actually, not here, because this is a very holy place, right? Uh, we go to a movie, and we go in the middle of the movie. We call like 15, 20 minutes Miami time late, right? And all of a sudden, we see a woman grabs a gun and shoots the guy. And I stop the movie. I'm like, hey, that girl deserves to go to the electric chair. She needs to be charged with murder, because she killed that guy. And some of you that were here in American time were like, wait, wait, Gus, you didn't see the beginning of the movie. You see, the guy was chasing her because he was going to rape her. So the only way, the same gun that he had, she luckily grabbed it from him and shot him, so she had to defend himself. You just cannot take that small 20-second scene where she kills the guy and come out with the plot of the movie or the answer. You had to understand the beginning in order to understand where you're at right now. And it's the same way with Scripture. Therefore, today we're going to read a few verses before, leading up to verse 11. We'll start in verse 4. This is what Jeremiah 29, verse 4 says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all that I carry into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Build houses, settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. It's a lot of reading. I get it. We'll break it down. We'll take it slow. Just like in every single book in the Old Testament, we see Israel being disobedient to God. And, and sometimes we read the Bible like, man, you guys are dumb. You just continue doing the stupid mistakes. And then I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, oh, wait, that's me. Basically, like Frankenstein, the creation has turned against the creator. They were disobedient, so God allowed the Babylonians to come and take them out into exile. By the word, the, ex the word exile is repeated a few times. The word exile basically says, when someone takes you away from your homeland, by force. It's not like, hey, I have a first-class ticket for you to go to Babylon. No. They're taking you by force. You don't have time to grab your belongings. They're taking you by force. This is what we call slavery. Captives. They've been abducted. Now, the people in this home, the survivors, the slaves that survived this horrific captivity... They're shaken to the very core. They're scared. They're confused. They have doubts. They thought they were hearing for God, but they weren't. Let me tell you why. Let's, actually, let's go back to chapter 28. Do we have that, Renee? In verses 1 through 4, let, let me tell you how they thought they were hearing from God. Verse 1 says, In that same manner, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet of Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. So the people of God were listening to false prophets who were saying, listen, in two years we're going to go back home. But Jeremiah comes in chapter 29, he says, not one, not two, but 70 years. That's 68 year difference, guys. And that's when you distinguish a true prophet from a false one, right? Because a false one will give you the news that you want to hear. I mean, we have a lot of prophets nowadays. I'm not going to get into that, I promise. 
But what I will say is this, is in the Old Testament, most of the prophets, they came and re- they reigned on your parade. They never really came with good news. As a matter of fact, the book of Jeremiah is nothing but bad news to the people of God. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. What about Noah? Rain is coming. It's going to rain, guys. We know what happened with the flood. That was a complete judgment. So the people are scared because they're confused. They're like, wait, wait, I thought God said two years. Now you're telling me it's 70 years? Not only they're confused and doubting, but they doubt God. Why? Because the same God that has the power to free them is the same God that has them there. Read the verse. He says, I'm going to keep you there for 70 years. God could have took them away in two years. But no, he said, I'm going to keep you there for 70 years. The same person that they're praying to, to free them is the same person that has them there. Here's a statement that might not go easy with you, but we'll talk about it. Just don't stone me. Christianity grants us suffering. If you're a Christian, you will suffer. There's no ifs and buts about it. Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite uh, authors. In reality, I don't like reading so much of him. Some sermons I do, but I love his quotes. I'm a quote type of guy. And one of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon, he said this, God has one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. Say that again. God had one son on earth without sin, but not one without suffering. Jesus Christ, God's beloved son, the perfect one, the redeemer, the one who is qualified to be the lamb that was slaughtered for us. Without sin, but he was not without suffering. It is an odd concept, let's be honest, that we have to suffer. That the God who loves us so much, our Father, our Abba, our protector says, you're going to suffer. And I'm going to make sure of that. But why? Why must we suffer? You ever asked your question that? I'm sure you have, because we all gone through hard times. Why do we suffer? You know, we see a world, we turn on the news, and we see earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes. We see divorces. We see diseases. We see death. We see a lot of despicable, disgusting things that all goes back to sin. And then we wake up and we look ourselves in the morning and we say, man, sin sucks. I hate my sins. Although we've been freed from sin because of Jesus, we still wrestle with our flesh. We still wrestle with sin. You see, in this land, we are strangers of this world. This is not our land. The new heart that God has given us has given us a spirit that desires to live and walk intimately with him. And that opposes the complete culture that we live in. Now, I'm not saying to be a hermit and don't talk to anyone. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that 
our heart desires to live a life of holiness. And when it doesn't, we fall and we get back up and repent. And we get aligned back into the gospel. Because that's what we are. We're believers in this beautiful gospel. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 13, Peter says this, Beloved, he's talking to you and me, do not be surprised at the fear of trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What Peter's basically saying is if you're not suffering, find that strange. If you're not going through trials and tribulations, that's odd. If the pains that the world brings upon your life is not gripping your heart at times, then you might want to check your salvation. And then he tells you a response when it comes to suffering. He said, rejoice. We're the only religion in the world that will say, rejoice when everything goes bad. Philippians 1.29 says, For it hath been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also suffer for him. It goes hand in hand. It's not an option that you can choose out of. It's going to happen. It's been granted to you. It's like if it's a gift, you've been granted this gift. God says, I've been granted this gift of salvation. I've also given you the gift of suffering for him. Notice that it says for him. In other words, the reason why we suffer is for him. We'll get back to that. I'm going to put that on pause real quick. Let me just say this. The reason why God allows us to suffer is so that we will not fall in love with this world. The reason why we experience grief it's so that we will not desire to stay in this world. The reason why he allows us to lose our job, lose our house, lose our friends, lose relationships, or even our own health, is so that we will not feel comfortable in a land that we don't belong in. The reason why God allows us to experience defeat, heartaches, pain, is so that we may look forward to a better life in heaven. Think about it. If God gave you everything, you wouldn't want to go back. You wouldn't want to go to heaven. You're like, I have everything here. Why would I want to leave? If God gave you riches and fame, can you honestly say, I desperately can't wait for you to come back? By the way, I'm not saying having money is a sin. I'm not saying that. In other words, how are you going to anxiously look forward to his second coming if you don't experience trials and tribulations? It's illogical because when you have everything, you will not have the need for God. There's a lot of Christians that are so-called Christians that come into the faith and think everything's going to be perfect. And once the storm comes, they just check out. They're like, ah, this wasn't for me. I tried it. I was a Christian. No, you were not. Tim Keller said this, 
Any person who only sticks with Christianity as long as things are happening to his or her way is a stranger of the cross. I love that quote. Let me do it one more time. Any person who only sticks with Christianity as long as things are going his or her way is a stranger of the cross. When I look at this quote or even these verses, I think about my mom. So back in 2003, my brother and I were both incarcerated at the same time. My mom was basically going through a divorce. And Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's was all spent alone in a house that she couldn't even afford anymore because her husband abandoned us. And every time she'd go to work, she had a joy and a glow on her face. And all her co-workers knew that my brother and I were locked up and knew that she had been abandoned by her stepfather, her husband. And they just kept asking, how are you still joyful? And her only answer was, by the grace of Christ. You see, God allows suffering to happen in your life so that when things go wrong and you still love people, you still have a smile, you still have peace in your heart, and unbelievers will say, where is this peace coming from? And you're like, it's coming from the Holy Spirit who was sent by Jesus Christ to comfort me. It's because of the cross and it's behind the cross that I hide in. And people are like, is this God this big? Yes! Is this God this amazing? Yes! Does he bring such peace? Yes, he does. So the question is, how are we to live suffering well? I remember a few years ago, and this is where I got the title from, actually. I, was, I interviewed Lecrae before he was big Lecrae. And yeah, Wow. No, he, before he like made it to like big, he was like still doing small little concerts. I, I followed him back there. And when I said bye to him, he says, all right, bro, suffer well. And I'm like, what is he talking about, suffer well? And that's what triggered my thoughts about this sermon. In verses 5 through 7, God starts warning the people. It's like, look, you're, it's not going to be two years. It's going to be 70 years. But let me tell you how you're going to live those 70 years, my children. You're going to marry. You're going to have children. You know what? I want your children to have children. Increase the numbers. Don't decrease. I want more people to come out and represent my beautiful kingdom. And the same kingdom that has you in, under captivity, your masters, because you're slaves right now, you know what? Pray for them. Pray that they prosper, because if they prosper, you will prosper too. That's crazy, right? Your captor, pray for them. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 18 was one of the verses that I enjoyed reading when I was in prison. And it said this, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
When I was facing 10 years for a crime I didn't commit, and I came to Christ, I didn't care if I did life in prison because it was just temporary. The relationship that I have with an amazing Christ was deeper than my pain, deeper than my loneliness. It was deeper than my need to be around my family and friends and the freedom. I had more freedom in prison than I even do now today. You're like, wait, wait, how could that be? How can you be closer to God in prison while you're, you know, seeing a lot of crazy stuff, experiencing a lot of crazy stuff, and you don't have your freedom? Well, it was easy because I had no competition of entertainment. It was easy for me to worship God because that's all I had for that day. It was easy for me to pray because I had all the time in the world to pray. It's easy to seek God for joy because if I didn't seek him, I wouldn't have joy. But man, now I come out into the jungles in this world and I'm fighting, man. Y'all might think, well, he knows the scripture. Look at it. No, man, I'm, I'm broken just like y'all. I'm jacked up just like you and I. I'm, I'm telling you. My marriage needs counseling at times. Just like probably your marriages need counseling at times. If my wife heard me preach, she's like, oh, you should see him at home. <laughs> this is just reality, guys. So I would say to myself, I'm like, man, that we are not of this world. All this pen, this phone, it's nothing. In other words, because we are not of this world, we should invest our time in working of eternal soil things. So after understanding those two key things, right, about Jeremiah chapter 29, now we can read verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you. Let's stop there. God has a plan. His plan all along has been simple. Jesus died for you so you can be my children. His plan is to adopt you and I. That's his plan. I have a plan that you may have a father in me that will never abandon you, will never reject you, will never turn his back on you. That's my plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper. Listen, I'm not going to talk about the riches in heaven like a gold road and all that. The riches in heaven is Jesus. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. That's prosperity. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Because of the riches of Jesus' grace, we avoid hell. And by the way, hell is not just a, a, a devil pinching us with a fork. Hell is basically God's love not present. That's hell. Plans to give you hope in the future. When we think about the word hope, in a secular term, a lot of people call it like wishful thinking. But we Christians, nah, that's not wishful thinking, brother. It's being confident about the expectations of the promises that God gave us that we'll know will come true because he is faithful. That's hope. 
The hope that God has for us is that Jesus died on the cross. And he said, it is finished. Our sins have been paid for in full. He is the only way. He is the only qualified lamb that can purchase us. That can truly redeem us. And that he is coming back. That's the hope. That, we're to, that Jeremiah is talking about. And for a better future, a new heaven, a new earth. That's what he's talking about. That's the future that we're promised. So when you read this verse again, please understand that the plan that God has for us is to be his children, confidently expecting for the, for the Redeemer to come back for his church. That the groom is going to come back for his bride. He's going to come down riding on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, fire in his eyes, and he is going to separate the just from the unjust and every knee will bow down and call him Lord. Now, you can receive prosperity while you're on earth but it's just a shadow of the prosperity you will receive in heaven. You might live a life without harm on earth, but it's just a shadow of, excuse me, you might live a life without harm on this earth, but it's the greatest harm that you avoided, which is God's wrath. I love what Paul Washer said. A lot of people say, wait, wait, Jesus died for you, so he saved you from Satan? No, he saved you from God himself, his wrath. Because if you die without Christ, you're not going to see God the Father. You will see God the judge. Kennedy, James Kennedy said, every religion will take you to God, but only Christianity can take you to the Father. Let me say this. If you do not know Christ today, I hope that you do. But then if you do not know Christ and you say, I don't want Christ, well, let me give you some advice then. You just don't want him. Okay, go for it. Go full throttle with living a life of sin. Remember this world. Record it. Write it down. Put it in the back of your mind and cherish it because this will be the only heaven you'll experience. Now, no matter how many dead ends you find yourself in in this world, no matter how many times you cry yourself to sleep at night because things are tough, no matter what the doctor tells you, no matter how many people reject you, hate you, gossip about you, or deceit you, God promises this, that if you know Jesus, this is the only hell that you're ever going to experience. Amen. Today, I don't know where you're at. I don't. I don't know you. But if you are like me, then you are still in need of Christ every day of your life. Even when we die and we have a perfect body, we're still going to be in need of Christ. You might be going through a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. How about you join me in prayer? I would like to ask you to come here, and probably Pastor Abdi, if you can come with me. And we'd love to pray that you may suffer well. Because sometimes the storm, taking the storm away from your life is not what you need. 
You just need a, the strength to get through the storm. So this is a special prayer that if you're going through something right now, like I am, like probably Pastor Abdi's going through, we'll love to join you in prayer and ask the Lord to give us the strength to suffer well together. Because as a community, we carry each other's burdens. That's what church is about. Pama said it about hunger. It goes deeper than that. The hand and feet of Jesus is not just helping the poor that are physically in need, but those that are spiritually in need as well. That's true poverty. 